All hits all the time. We are family. Xers are double-digit Ks. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. July is officially here, which means baseball is back, in theory. Hopefully they can get together in practice as teams are reporting to their home ballparks to begin summer camp. Hello, everyone. Welcome into Mass and All Access Podcast. I'm Bobby Blanco from the Mass and Newsroom. And, of course, we're brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Thanks for tuning in on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. And, of course, we're following along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. There are a lot of different points of views going into this baseball season. I'm going to talk to FP Santangelo later in the show to get the player's perspective, but for a more broader point of view, we're going to bring in our uh, Mass and uh, Nationals beat reporter uh, for the Nationals, Mark Zuckerman. And Mark, it's good to see you again. And uh, we're finally talking about baseball, actual baseball being played in a real season to be had. Uh, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Here we are finally, what, three and a half months later, and we're on the verge of it happening. Hopefully, it does happen and it continues to happen for the next uh, three or four months. And we're not talking about having to shut it down at any point, but um, look, a lot of people have been waiting for this. A lot of people have their fingers crossed right now that it all works. Uh, they've put together a very comprehensive manual over a hundred pages of the protocols for how this is going to work from everybody to from the players, to the staffers, to the media members. And now we're going to find out if it can actually be done I hope so. For everyone's sake, I hope it works. I hope everyone stays safe and they're able to pull this thing off. Um, but it's pretty daunting when, when you really stop and think about and look at all these details of what has to go right and how many people have to adhere to all these guidelines, not just for one day, but every day until the season's completed. It is really daunting to think about. Yeah, there are still a lot of obstacles to be had, but uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, players are reporting to camps today, uh, it's under my assumption, Mark, that they're just reporting today to get tested first and make sure they test negative for the coronavirus and hopefully, at least in the Nationals case, start workouts as early as Friday. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, think about at a normal spring training, you have kind of reporting day. They take their physicals and all that. And then a day or two later is the first actual workout. That's, that's what you're going to have here. Uh, you know, I don't know for a fact, but maybe a few guys when they get to the ballpark are going to be allowed onto the field to play catch or loosen up or something like that. But mostly this is about organizing everything, having everybody in place, getting the testing done. Then of course it's not instantaneous results. They do have to wait a little while to get the results and then see where they go from there. Um, You know, I also keep in mind, this is very different because this isn't, you know, there are 60 players, but they're not all going to be there at the same time. They have to stagger this out over the course of the day. Uh, to try to limit exposure as much as possible. You're only dealing with one field, you know, two bullpens, two batting cages uh, under the stands that they can use. And so they are going to have to spread this out uh, and as much as possible not have as many guys together at once. So it's it's going to look different. It's going to be organized very differently from what uh, we're used to in a spring training. 
Yeah, the the uh, lack of space, I think, is the big logistical. There are plenty of logistical problems to overcome, uh, of course, in, in today's world. Um, but how else do you see the Nationals kind of approaching this um, in all aspects, not just having to spread out the the players over the course of the day and, and utilizing the minimal space that they do have while also keeping their distance? And there are also other aspects, I think, in terms of, you know, they're practicing throughout the middle of the day in the middle of July in D.C. You know, there's going to be weather that's going to affect whether or not they can work down. Like you said, there's only really two batting cages indoors. Um, how else do you see the Nationals kind of approaching this summer camp 2.0 over the course of the next three weeks, hopefully leading into games? Yeah, I, I made the mistake of looking at the forecast uh, earlier today. You know what's going to be on Friday? Uh, I'm going to guess stormy. No, 97 and Ooh, sunny. That's going to be fun. Yeah, uh, and then you're right. Over the course of July and August, we know how uh, D.C. weather can be with late afternoon storms and everything else. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of tricky factors here, things that are out of their control they can't really do anything about. Um, you know, to me, the, the most interesting part of all this is how do you balance all those important things you have to do to keep everybody safe with the notion of you have three weeks to get ready for a season that's only going to be 60 games in which everything is magnified, everything is more important. So it's kind of like a we have to rush through this thing, give everything we've got in these three weeks to get ready for the season, but at the same time, be careful about it because we don't really know how this is all going to play out. You don't know how much exposure is too much exposure. So it, it's a it's a delicate balance they have to strike here. And Yes, there's a lot of motivation to try to uh, do as much work as possible, get everybody as ready as possible. But I think they also have to be smart about it because the last thing anyone wants to do is, is get somebody sick, which isn't going to help them anyways because they won't be able to play. So um, it, it, that to me is sort of this fascinating dynamic of it all is that if this was just about the baseball, this would be a frantic three weeks to try to get everybody ready as much as possible for the season. But it's about so much more than that. And it can't just be about preparing guys for baseball. It's got to be about adhering to these guidelines and preparing them all to have to deal with this to get through a full season. It's not going to help anybody if they can't get through the season. That's a bad, that's bad news for everyone. Uh, so it's in everyone's best interest to try to adhere to this stuff. And, and that may, you know, in, in order to do that, they may have to sacrifice some of the preparation part. Right. And I think there's also some safety issues, not just inside the ballpark. I mean, we're not even sure how the media is going to be able to access uh, the, the workouts. Um, we know we'll probably probably be limited to or restricted to the press box, but, of course, no face-to-face -face interviews or press conferences. Those will all be handled over Zoom. But I also have, like, a, a concern that just popped into my mind. You know, what's going to stop fans from crowding outside of Nationals Park, going down um, to, to the Navy Yard area, um, and standing outside the gate in left field or, or at center or at home plate or outside the parking lot where the players park their cars. I mean, I think there's a lot of logistics to go around, not just inside the stadium, but around it because, you know, with baseball being back, they're going to be one of the first sports to actively be practicing um, in, in metropolitan areas. You know, it just doesn't just apply to the Nationals. This applies to every team inside their home ballparks. I mean, how is that going to be handled in terms of, you know, the D.C. police, the Metropolitan Police, whatever that might be, restricting people from gathering 
uh, not just inside the stadium, like with the players and the media, but outside the stadium with fans. I mean, that's just going to be another mass crowd, and we're already seeing spikes of the coronavirus in areas where we've seen mass gatherings over the past couple of weeks. So I think there's a lot of concerns, not just inside the ballpark, but also outside the ballpark in terms of everyone's total safe and, uh, and health, safety and health uh, to, to move forward. Uh, Mark, let's also move on to, obviously, the big news coming earlier this week. Um, we saw four players, at least so far, opt out of the 2020 season. Three of them have ties to the Nationals, and two of them are active players on, on the roster. They're no longer, of course, uh, being placed on the restricted list in Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross. What did you make of those announcements, and, and um, how do you, do you foresee any more players choosing uh, to opt out of the 2020 season? Yeah, I do expect more. I'm a little surprised we haven't heard more yet. I, I sort of thought that would be the just the beginning of it and that there'd now be a flurry of these to come out. Now, maybe they still will over the next couple of days. Um, I think in Ryan Zerman's case, we all sort of saw that one coming. Um, as much as he wanted to play this year, as much as we'd all love to see him out there, there are just too many reasons for him you know, to say it's not worth it. Uh, a brand new newborn son at home, a mother who has multiple sclerosis, um, and a guy who had taken a lesser deal to come back this year and be a part-time player for the first time in his career. Uh, it doesn't mean his career is over. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about trying to play more, that he's content with his uh, career maybe being over now. But when you balance the pros and cons, uh, the positives and, and the risks that would have been involved, I, I think it, it's a sensible move on his part to do that. So I wasn't surprised. Joe Ross was not a name that I had really thought much about uh, as somebody who could be in a position to opt out. Um, he has not made a statement, and that's his prerogative. He's under no obligation to uh, explain to us why um, he's doing it. I, I know that um, he has some family members. I think his parents are maybe in the medical profession, so maybe on their advice or, or some things that he's heard from them, or you know, we don't know. There could be other things going on. I was surprised from a baseball standpoint from him because – this is a guy for whom this would have been a very big year, an opportunity most likely to be the number five starter, uh, to hold a prominent role, to sort of finally put it all together, uh, and a guy who's two years away from free agency. And so this could have been a big stepping stone year for him uh, to get himself a big contract in a couple of years. Who knows how that all you know works out for him now. But it's like I said, his prerogative, he has his reasons, and he's entitled to it. And I, I was really glad to see Mike Rizzo and the Nationals say they give 100% support to these guys. Uh, they're not questioning it. They're not going to make them feel guilty at all for Fans should not make them feel guilty at all for this, too. Uh, I wrote about this the other day that as much as we always want to think about team first and the, how that's always the priority for guys, and we applaud players who put the team ahead of their own personal interests, I think this year we have to look at it differently and to acknowledge that individual priorities are actually more important because it's not just about them. It's about their families, about keeping everyone safe. And so if anyone, and this applies to anyone in any walk of life right now, who has the ability to decide whether to go into their work office or not, um, we have to respect their decisions and understand that that's more important than whatever effect it may have on their team or their company as a whole. Uh, so, you know, I hope fans understand that uh, you know, why they're doing it and, and, and respect that that is their decision to make. Yeah, I totally agree. And that was a great article you wrote the other day on the blog on MassInSports.com. It actually caught some national attention, too. Players don't owe anyone an explanation for choosing not to play this season. And I totally agree. I think this is a unique situation. Like, look, we're only playing 60 games, and there's a universal DH. And there's a plethora of other 
unique rules that we're not going to see maybe after this season. Um, and we're also amidst the global pandemic. So it's up to each player's pro- and each player has its own prerogative, you know, and it, it's a different case for every single individual that they have a family member that they need to take care of or themselves or friends or fa- whoever it may be, you know, it's up to them to decide. And, and I agree. I don't think, I mean, I, I would be curious to see what Joe Ross's reasoning is for not sitting out. Cause like you said, this would have been a big season for him um, in terms of him probably securing that number fifth starter spot and, you know, kind of building off of a strong end to 2019. And of course, um, a, a f- solid effort in a, a game five star an emergency spot in the world series. But I would, I don't, I'm not expecting a reason coming from Joe Ross. I don't want him think he needs to hold like a press conference or anything, but I'll be curious to see what his reasoning was just out of curiosity. You know, we all have our reasonings. I wonder what his would be. Like you said, his two parents are in the medical field. So I th- I would just out of curiosity, I want to hear wh- wh- why he would chose to sit out this year. Cause it is going to be a big season for him, but I don't think anyone owes anyone any explanations. Um, the other player who, Another player that opted out that has ties to the Nationals, of course, is Ian Desmond. He gave a lengthy explanation as to why he uh, chose a sat out um, and, a, and a very thought-out, uh, well-phrased uh, Instagram post the other day. It touched, of course, on the pandemic and, and taking care of his family, but also civil rights issues. You covered Ian Desmond for the mo- most of his careers up to this point with his time with the Nationals. Uh, what did you think of his post, what he had to say, um, and and? You know, what are your experiences in dealing with Ian Desmond as a person? Yeah, first of all, I encourage everyone out there to read uh, the post in its entirety because it is really powerful and it it raises, you know, some topics and issues that maybe we've thought about, but he presents them in a way that maybe we haven't thought about and in a really thoughtful manner uh, that I think could make a lot of people rethink how they how they view certain things and how the sport is done and just a lot of really weighty, important issues. And I I applaud him um, for having the courage to put that all out there. I'm not surprised though. This is the Ian Desmond I've always known. Uh, I actually met him. I was thinking about this the other day. I met him. He was 18 years old. Uh, He had been drafted by the Expos in 2004 out of high school. The following spring, the Expos have now moved to Washington. It's their first spring training in Vieira. He's in minor league camp. You know, he, he's not anywhere close to the big leagues at this point. But they called him up for a couple of days like they do with a lot of minor leaguers just to give him a taste or to help fill in for a day or two. And he made this great play at shortstop that everybody was wowed by. Frank Robinson took him under his wing. Uh, I remember interviewing him. And, and over the years following him as he grew up, became a big leaguer, became an all-star, he's always been a really special person and somebody who thinks way beyond himself uh, and his own individual needs. He was a leader in the clubhouse at a very young age. Um, somebody who, who just takes life seriously, but, you know, but not in a negative way. Very positive, upbeat person, cares about his family immensely, cares about teammates, cares about the sport uh, and all of these important issues. And I remember even saying to him at one point when he was playing, I said, boy, you're going to be a manager someday. He says, yeah, but not in the big leagues. I want to manage in the minor leagues. I said, really? In the minor leagues? He says, yeah, that's where you can have the most impact. You know, that that tells you what he thinks about uh, his his devotion as really the first Nationals player uh, to be closely involved with the, the team's youth academy in D.C. Uh, within his post is a is a touching and also heartbreaking anecdote about one of the kids that he got to know there uh, and the, the impact that had on his life. 
So I, Ian Desmond is a is an all star human being, and um, I think you you saw people who maybe didn't know that about him uh, are learning that now after reading his Instagram post. Yeah, I never got the lucky opportunity to meet him in person um, when I first started here at Masson, but um, I, I regret that because he does seem like I've only heard good stories. You know, I've only heard A pluses all around from people who interact with him, not just as teammates, but also people in the media, fans. Uh, he just seems like an all around great person, and that. I think it was reflected really well as Instagram posts, and I wish him the best. And I take a sense of pride in that he was once a national, a longtime national, um, and represented the city of DC for a really long time. So uh, obviously, a big round of applause to him. All right, Mark, let's finish up with some actual baseball talk. Um, you know, we did just mention that Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross are now on the restricted list. That opens up two spots on the sixty-man player pool. Is there a sense? I, I kind of take a sense in that. The Nationals are, you want the team at full strength, of course. Um, and like we said, no one's going to blame anyone for sitting out this season. But I would say the Nationals are fortunate enough that the players that did choose to opt out came from positions of strength already. You know, they're not having to find a second or third starter because they've got a three-headed, almost four-headed monster at the top of the rotation anyways. And they have Eric Fetty and Austin Voth in the wings that have proven that they're capable of at least sharing the fifth starter's role and Ryan Zimmerman, yes, he's the face of the franchise, but then you already had a platoon at first base of Eric Thames um, and Howie Kendrick and Asdrubal Cabrera could obviously slide over if need be. Um, do you get that sense too in that their Nationals are fortunate and that those are the positions that they lost to players already? Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good way to look at it. That look, Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross could have had very important roles on this team they have in the past and and it's not to say that their losses aren't going to be felt from a baseball standpoint, but uh, they are in positions where, like you said, there is depth in the case of Zimmerman in particular. I think Mike Rizzo has always, certainly the last several years tried to build a roster with the understanding that he may not have Ryan Zimmerman all season long, uh, given his injury history. So with Eric Thames, Howie Kendrick, Starlin Castro, as Dribble Cabrera, Carter Keebum, Trey Turner, you've got a full complement of infielders and they should be able to, to cover that. Now, do I think Zim as a right-handed platoon at first base, maybe DH, a guy off the bench to face lefty pitchers, you know, tough lefties late in the game, that they're going to miss that? Yeah, absolutely. That could cost them. Uh, but probably more so than most teams, they're able to uh, be positioned to, to, to deal with that. And in Joe Ross's case, yeah, you're right. The, the top four guys we know are set uh, and they have the luxury of some depth with both and Fetty. I also did think, though, that depending on how this season played out, the Nationals with Joe Ross were in a really advantageous position to have not just five, but six or even seven big league starters. And that could be important in a very short season uh, where pitchers are not at the beginning going to be built up the way they normally are and have the innings they normally are. And so I was kind of curious to see how Davey Martinez would utilize those guys, maybe some of them out of the bullpen, maybe piggybacking a couple of the starters together to get through a game. Um, you know, he'll have less ability to do that now without Joe, but any team that has Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez, and then Voth and Fetty on top of all that, I think is, is in a pretty advantageous position. If everyone stays healthy, that'll be the other you know key thing here. Uh, any injury this year is going to be magnified because even 10 games out of a 60 game season means a lot more. And so if you lose a Kendrick for any length of time, or Thames, you're going to wish you had Zimmerman. If you lose uh, Sanchez or Vote or Fetty, you're going to wish you had Joe Ross. So 
it could come back to haunt them. But uh, I think in the, for the in the bigger picture, the Nationals are probably as well positioned as you could be to lose guys like that. Right, and I, this is just popped into my head. It's a kind of a question about the nitty gritty of the rules of this season. Um, because Joe Ross and Ryan Zimmerman are not deemed as high risk players in terms of the coronavirus, and they've opted out, they cannot be added later in the season. Correct? That is correct. The, the rules, as I understand it, are anyone who's not high risk. Once you make that call, you're out for the year. You are on the restricted list. That is different than somebody who is deemed high risk who says they want to opt out. They would be allowed to come back and be activated at some point. Truth be told, we don't know if any nationals are high risk. Um, That is something that only the doctors and them know. And it it raises another point I wanted to mention here. There there is a new COVID-19 related injury list. I believe that's the term for it. It's getting out now, though, that when players are placed on that or if players are held out because they test positive or showing symptoms, they are not necessarily required to announce that publicly. And this is going to create a bit of a a tough situation for everyone where when we see somebody not in the lineup or somebody is, is not playing for any length of time and we're not given a specific reason why we're all going to speculate on why that might be and then speculate, well, who else on the team could have it? Uh, Is there any risk to anybody else? And I, I hope that MLB and the union can figure out a better way to deal with this because while I understand and respect players' privacy when it comes to health matters, these are not injuries per se, that they're not required to you know, announce. Um, this is a public health issue and safety issue. And I think it's in baseball's best interest to be upfront with everything that happens because they want to show everyone that they're doing this in a re- uh, responsible manner. And if there are positive tests, that it's limited and that they are quarantined and that everything turns out fine and they can come back eventually. And the less they provide uh, in terms of information to the public on that, the more it's going to lead to rampant speculation. And I think that could end up ultimately hurting the sport. Yeah, I I would agree. Another one that I have is, um, you might not know the answer because I don't think I've seen this anywhere. Do options count for this year? Like, the 60-man player pool, the Nationals added a bunch of their top prospects, Luis Garcia, Jackson Rutledge, Seth Romero, among others. If they, for some reason, are brought up to the major league level this season, for whatever reason, um, especially in terms of a case like, God forbid, the Nationals are running out of players because they're getting sick and they need these guys to step up and play, is that going to count towards their service time and and their options that they're going to accrue over the course of their career? I believe so. I don't know the specific answer to that, but I do believe so that, um, you know, they would have to be added to the 40-man roster first right. before they could be called the big leagues. So the team would have to remove someone from that. Uh, but then once you're up, yeah, that and you get your service time for being in the big leagues, however long you're there, and it's going to be prorated this year. And then if for some reason you send a guy down, let's say Carter Keboom starts the year in the big leagues and really struggles, and they say, you know what, we can't afford to do this. We're going to send you down to the – supplemental camp i believe that counts as an option against him uh, and he no longer gets the service time so there are some factors here i was interested when i saw that they were including guys like jackson rutledge and seth romero who by all accounts are not close to big league ready uh, and having them in camp i think that has more to do with giving these guys an opportunity to pitch and work out and and not spend the whole year idle not doing anything that it would be better for their development 
and that it wasn't done with the intention of calling them up. But you raise a good point. If there are a bunch of guys getting hurt or sick and you can only, you know, add players out off of that 60 man pool, you hope they're not in a position where they're forced to do that. Uh, because that can have some significant ramifications down the road. Yeah, I think that would be a little unfair. That's why I was, I was curious as to if that was the case. I think if if that were the case, and hopefully we're, we don't get to that point, but you know, it's great for those players to finally reach the big leagues, but then that kind of hurts their careers down the line in terms of their ability to be called up and, and their service time and stuff like that. Um, last quick, last one real quick before I let you go. Uh, in terms of the roster, with Ross and Zimmerman out, who do you expect? expect the Nationals to fill those roles with? You think they'll fill pitcher and infielder or next man up type of thing on their quote-unquote depth chart for the 60-man pool? How do you foresee them filling those holes? Yeah, look, there are some interesting questions here. Uh, Even if those guys were playing, remember, they're going to start the year with a 30-man active roster. Then that has to go down to 28 after two weeks and then down to 26 after four weeks, and that's where it'll stay. So even if those guys were there, there were openings for a few others. Now, if they're not there, uh, yeah, th- those are some interesting decisions they have to make. I would think that given how you know they have depth at first base, that they may not necessarily feel like whoever they add now has to be able to play first base. Uh, maybe it's someone like Emilio Bonifacio, who was in camp as a sort of jack-of-all-trades uh, guy. He could make the roster. You know, Andrew Steve- you, you, You'd keep Andrew Stevenson and Michael A. Taylor and have multiple backup outfielders, guys with speed, guys who can pinch run. Um, you know, the only guy I can think of who sort of fills that corner infield role would be Jake Knoll. Uh, but I don't know if they would feel like he would get enough playing time or be worth it, um, you know, to have him as one of the guys. You could. There's no limit on how many pitchers you carry, so you could do as many relievers as you want. I think it's probably safe to say that if everyone's healthy, that both Voth and Fetty probably make it. Uh, one as the number five starter, n- another one as a long reliever. Maybe there are times they need a sixth starter because of the schedule, which we haven't seen yet. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ways they can go with this, but my my hunch is that there's going to be a lot of priority right now on versatility. Uh, I think experience will matter. That's why a guy like Bonifacio or, or Javi Guerra could make the team. Um, and guys who are healthy and, and ready to go after three weeks, if, if somebody doesn't seem like they're all the way there uh, and can't be available to you, especially as a pitcher, as much as possible, that, that could be a detriment and, and maybe a reason they wouldn't want to carry him on the team. Yeah, Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez have their work cut out for them for sure. And you and I have our work cut out for us as we get ready for the Nationals to start their summer camp. Hopefully we'll see each other on Friday in person from a safe distance. But uh, Mark, really appreciate the time. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. And of course, catch out, catch the blog on MassInSports.com. Mark, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Bobby. I hope to see you in person soon. Yeah, maybe a couple of days. All right, everyone stay tuned. FB Santangelo is up next. Back on the Masson All Access podcast, and we're going to bring in our Masson broadcaster for your World Series champion, Washington Nationals, FP Santangelo. FP, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Well, yeah, I'm so busy right now. I really had to shuffle my schedule around to get on here with you guys. I have nothing to do. I'm glad to be on here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good to see you. I'm, well, first of all, baseball is back, so hopefully we'll be seeing and hearing more of you in the next coming months. But, you know, with the news that uh, the season is going to start, players are going to report 
uh, soon, and, and and the Nationals are going to hopefully have their first workout starting Friday at Nationals Park. A lot's been made of kind of the perspective of how to approach this season, and I wanted to get your uh, view on it as a former player. Just first and foremost, can you kind of set the stage of what these players are going through um, when they're deciding whether or not to play this season and how they will approach a shortened season during a pandemic? Well, you got what? 60 guys and probably 60 different opinions. And that's the way it is in a clubhouse. Now, you, you know, that, that's who's eligible to play. So 25 guys. I'm sure a lot of guys are looking at it differently. It depends where you are at your in your career, um, what stage you're at, um, how much money you've made, um, what your family situation is. Um, so there, there is no wrong answer to this thing. If you want to play, great. If you don't, great. Uh, I respect everybody's opinion on this. Um, however you get through this, um, not even baseball wise, but personally in, in your life, um, ho- however you get through this it, it, and getting through this is the most important thing, I guess. And however you get through it, 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 it works. Um, so if there's certain guys that don't want to play great, I, I will never judge anybody that doesn't want to play. If there's guys that want to play great, I'm sure there's guys that are like, let's go get them. 23 year old me wouldn't care about this thing. 53-year-old me is scared to death of this thing. So I think there's a there's a different, you know, stages you go through in your life. When I was 23, you guys know, I was invincible. You know, I was bulletproof, so to speak. But um, um, now, I, boy, it's just, just, it's a tough, it's a weird time for all of us. It's a, it's a touchy situation. And with what everyone's decision is, I'm behind everybody, whatever their decision is. Because there's no wrong decision in this for me. Right, and you kind of touched on it just then. Uh, coming to my next question is, how do you think you would approach it as a player, trying to balance that competitive edge as a professional baseball player and in the Nationals' case, wanting to defend a, a world championship while also trying to stay healthy and stay safe during the situation? You said, you know, as time goes on, your priorities kind of change. Yeah, I mean, it would be, Bobby, where, where I was at in my career. Like I just said, not to repeat myself, but hey, there's a trophy to be had out there and you're playing for a trophy again. Um, and at a certain stage of my career to play in the major leagues, I would have done anything, but also at a certain, certain stage of my career, um, I had kids and, and I had a family and I think stuff that Zim said about this whole thing, the scary part would be coming home. It wouldn't be going to the ballpark. It would be coming home after the game. So, um, like I said, catch me when I'm 21, I probably have a different opinion than I was 31, 41. Now that I'm 53, um, this thing scares me and I, and I respect, I respect what's going on very, very much. Right. And I, I totally agree with you. And I don't think too many people in the media or people at home even blame any player who would want to sit out, uh, this season during a pandemic for health or safety, whatever reason it may be. Um, I think also in certain situations, players who choose to sit out not in a pandemic are, are fully in their rights because they got to do what's best for them and their families. But I'm wondering, FP, you know, your experience in a, in a major league clubhouse, how does this kind of play in the clubhouse? I know this is uncertain times and uncharted territories. We've never done this before. But, you know, as a teammate, if you're playing and you see some of your teammates kind of choosing to opt out of this season and not, and not play, do you kind of have to respect their wishes or is it some part of you maybe not resentful, but like being like, man, we, we really wish he was here because we need him on the field. Well, I think the Nats are in a different position than most teams because, you know, they just won a world championship and they just all came together more close than you ever can as a ball club. When, when you, when you go that deep into October and you experience the things they experience. And they all got to the top of the mountain. They're all going to get their rings. 
Um, they had the parade. They all contributed in a certain way. So now you sit back and there's no way to judge anybody because you all did it together. You were a close-knit bunch and you respect everybody's opinion and everybody's decision. Right. And now going to kind of um, the head of the, of the team, Davey Martinez, he, of course, did such a great job keeping the team together last year after a, a, a slow start. And, of course, from May 24th on, they were one of the best teams in baseball. How much does a player look towards his manager um, to kind of lean on in difficult times like this? And how so? And how much of a role is Davey going to have to play in this unique season uh, to kind of keep the team together, regardless of who's playing and who's not? Well, you, you know what? There's a storyline that nobody talks about from last year. I mean, there's so many great ones, right? With Gerardo Parra and just go right down the line, Juan Soto, Howie Kendrick. Strasburg's emergence in the playoffs and, and going undefeated. My one of my favorite parts about last year is watching Davey Martinez grow into a manager, into a great big league manager. Where you know maybe his first year, that's a tough place to start, man. The big leagues is a tough place to start for any level. Like for a player, the guys that go through the minors quick, it's a tough place to fail because you're doing it in front of forty thousand people on TV every night. Um, so Davey kind of had his growing pains in the first year. And then last year, couldn't have done a better job. With 19 and 31 and being the same guy every day, as a player, you look to your manager. Is he panicking? Is he flipping spreads? What's he doing? He's the same guy every day. Okay, I can relax. I can go out there and, and get the best out of my athletic ability. And the way he managed in October, I'll put that October up the way he managed against any manager that's ever managed. He managed with his hair on fire. He managed like every game was the last game from the wild card game, which it was uh, – a in essence, a game seven, but then game one of the NLDS, game one of the NLCS, game one of the Wolves, he managed every game like it was game seven. It was all hands on deck, using his starters as relievers, being creative, putting the right lineup in there. I mean, it, one of my favorite parts of last year that I don't think enough people are talking about is watching Davey Martinez not just grow as a manager, but grow into one of the best managers in baseball. I totally agree, and I remember at the end of last season, we did a podcast episode basically on how he got – super snubbed in the National League Manager of the Year voting to keep that team together after 19-31 and 31 start and make the playoffs. And, then, you know, postseason aside, I agree that his postseason managing was untouched, unmatched throughout the whole uh, – all of October. I think he did a fantastic job, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this year in a shortened season. You know, the, that aside with terms of the pandemic and players choosing to opt out – um, and sit out. What other obstacles do you foresee Davey having to overcome in a 60-game season? Well, it's going to be a sprint, right? Everybody's saying that. Um, and you have to make sure that your players are up to speed. And I think once they are, it's full throttle. It's almost like you're managing a playoff game every night. And the way I look at this thing, if it gets off the ground, and, and I'd be dishonest if I said I have my doubts if it's going to get off the ground. I hope it does. Um, that You manage three 20-game seasons. Um, in, in, in three 20 game tournaments, if you will. And if you go 13 and seven um, in those three 20 game seasons, I think, you know, you got a chance to be in the postseason. Also, you know, you can't go full throttle until you know your guys are in shape and they're ready. I mean, you'd love to come out of the gate sprinting, but, but are you ready to sprint right out of the gate with everybody sitting around? Some guys had access to gyms. Some guys had access to cages. Some guys didn't. Um, some guys are just kind of like, lifting paint buckets at home. So you don't, you don't know what kind of shape everyone's going to be in. And I think once you start to like see guys get their sea legs under them and get into shape, then you got to go full throttle. And I think it's the team that can go full throttle the quickest and the team that's ready to compete the quickest. that's going to win this thing. So 
Um, but like I said, Bobby, I still have my doubts on whether this thing's going to get off the ground. I'm crossing my fingers. I love baseball as much as anybody's loved baseball. I'm not a very well-rounded person. I don't have many other interests in my life. I've been going crazy without baseball. So I hope it comes back. Saying that, I hope it comes back safely, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, I'm actually with you, too. Unfortunately, I, I think it's going to be tough to overcome, but I'm hoping that we see it. We'll, we'll see how it progresses over the next couple of days. Along those lines, you mentioned that's a good point about having you can't come out in a full-on sprint even though you want to because it's a shortened season. Do the Nationals have maybe a, a leg up on the competition going into this year? Because they've basically been sprinting since the end of May 2019 carrying them all the way through their championship. They're, they kind of know how to go full throttle when they need to. They do. I think what's, what's going to be interesting is to see how different players approach a 60-game schedule. Am I going to run into a fence for a 60-game schedule? Am, am I going to uh, like barrel into second base legally nowadays? Um, am I going to play with uh, 110% every night? Um, or am, I think, you know, being in a lot of clubhouses throughout my career, some guys are going to say, well, you're paying me this much. I'm going to play this much. Um, and you know, it, it's an aspect that nobody's really talking about either. I think with the nationals and Davey Martinez and, and Mike Rizzo, maybe even more importantly, that that's not going to happen. The guys that decide to play, um, are going to be playing with a purpose and a reason. And there's a trophy out there to get, and there's another ring out there to get, defend your trophy, defend your ring. And I think that's going to be the mantra you hear this year um, throughout the, the course of the season. Yeah, well said. Uh, w- one more thing before we get, I'll let you go. Obviously, a lot of news has been made over the last 24 hours or so of players sitting out, Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross here locally. But nationally, Ian Desmond, a former national, making a lot of headlines, sitting out not just because of the pandemic, but because of what's going on in baseball, in our country, in terms of civil rights. Um what are your thoughts on what Desmond had to say in his Instagram post and, and his choice to sit out this season? I know you know him pretty well from the, his time here in Washington. Well, I'm proud to say I know him. Uh, and I got choked up uh, reading his post last night. So uh, everybody's got to do what they got to do right now, and I'm proud of him. And, and I'm glad that he's doing what's best for his family. Um, w- without getting too deep, uh, I'm just proud to say that I know the guy. Yeah, I, I agree. I would echo that sentiment. I, I'm I'm proud to know that he once played for the organization that we cover and then I call home here in D.C. Uh, I think it's really well said. Thank, FB, thanks so much. Give him a follow at Fighting Hydrant on Twitter. Make sure you're going one note every day. Really appreciate the time and hope to see you soon, FB. Well, thanks for letting me talk. I've been talking to the walls, the windows, cars that go by. I'm so bored, so thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks again to FP Santangelo and Mark Zuckerman. And, of course, thanks to Paul Mancano and Hannah Broder for their help behind the scenes. That's going to do it for this week's Mass and All Access podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Stay locked in on MassAndSports.com and our Mass and Nationals uh, social media accounts. And, of course, the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'm Bobby Blanco, at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. We'll see you next week.